Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode from the Side Hustler Society. I'm your host, Elijah Blau, and on this podcast, as you know, we talk about side hustles that will help you make additional money or ways that you can make money to take over full-time and enter the hustle full-time. And in this particular show, I'm really excited because I will actually be interviewing a real estate investor. Her name is Pam Hill, and she prides herself on being able to acquire properties in real estate for the price of a car. A lot of people see real estate as something that's hard to get into, mainly because they see those big numbers on the screen in the five figures and the six figures in terms of acquiring property, and they get just a tad bit intimidated. But there is a saying that as long as you're willing to do the searching, there is the right deal for you. And a lot of people don't realize that there are places that you can acquire for cheap, put maybe a few thousand dollars worth of renovations in there, and then you could either sell it for a profit or if you're a little more my speed, you can rent it to a tenant and make a profit that way. Of course, there is a science to doing this, and that's what we're going to be talking to Pam about. So let's go ahead and hit that intro and get started. Welcome to the Side Hustler Society podcast with your host, Elijah Bilal. This is where you can find out more about hustles that are best for you. And of course, make more money in the process. Elijah has been in the gig economy and freelance space for over five years and has done over 3,000 deliveries on Uber Eats. He's an Airbnb super host, runs multiple YouTube channels, and is the author of the best-selling book, The Anatomy of Financial Success. It's his mission to empower people with the tools needed to be successful. Now, welcome your host, the king of side hustles, Elijah Bilal. So Pam Hill is the founder and CEO of My Smart Cousin and a real estate investor who owns 25 properties and 31 units, all purchased for the price of a car, and in some cases, a bicycle at $2,500 to $35,000. She began her real estate investment career 10 years ago during the Great Recession as a side hustle while working as an executive at an electric utility company. Since then, she's become the smart cousin to everyone in her family with personal finance and real estate advice, as well as a real estate investment coach teaching others how to buy their first or hundredth property for the price of a car. She's had many surprises, insights, and discoveries along the way, and will share what she's learned in her entrepreneurial journey, as well as how to buy a house for the price of a car. Okay, so we are on. Pam, how are you doing today? Doing well, Elijah. Doing well. Thank you so very much for having me on your show. <laughs> hey, uh, it's uh, very much appreciated in reverse. I mean, uh, real estate is an uh, endeavor that a lot of people want to get involved in. But, uh, you know, there's some ambiguity on how to get started, and there's probably 101 different ways on how to do it. And I'm probably underestimating it by giving it a triple-digit number. It's probably in the four digits at this point. Am I right? Four, five. Yep. (laughs) But I actually think that's kind of the beauty of it, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Um, uh, The beauty of, just as you say, having so many entry points is that there's essentially something for everyone. Uh, So as an example, if your entry point is, I only got $10 in my pocket uh, to be fooling around with this real estate market, well, then there's something for you just the same way uh, that you can uh, buy a, I don't know, probably one one thousandth of a share of Apple stock uh, by just going on, you name it, T-Row, Robinhood, any of these others, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, opening up an account and then investing as little as 10 bucks. Uh, you can do the same thing uh, for housing with as little as $10 um, through uh, real estate uh, mutual funds that focus only on real estate or or primarily on real estate. And then you can pick the kind of real estate that you're talking. Um, if you want to get a flavor for commercial, uh, let's say something super niche, um, hotels in region XYZ, uh, there are real estate investment trusts um, that do that. So that's the good news. And then, of course, if you're looking to get uh, more hands-on, so uh, not the passiveness, like the full passiveness of a mutual fund, uh, and instead want to sort of step in uh, to a bigger role um, as an owner, 
Well, then you can do that in lots of ways too. Uh, probably the smallest, the easiest, the right already in front of you way is if you own your house now, um, then you can Airbnb it tomorrow, right? And so you can, th th that's one way of suddenly becoming an investor uh, by renting out a room, a chair, your backyard, uh, your garage, all sorts of things. Uh, if you don't own a house and you instead are renting, uh, well, then you can look to buy a house uh, and buy a two family. So that's another way to hop in there. Uh, and then I guess just lastly is if you are like, I don't want nobody living anywhere close uh, to me. Uh, I am an investor. And that means stay back, folks. Uh, well, then you can buy a property. Uh, you can buy it for the price of a car. Yes, you can still buy it even today for the price of a car. Obviously not in every market, but in an awful lot of markets. Um, so I think that was really insightful what you said, Elijah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's powerful because uh, so you're basically saying um, there's a passive approach, which a lot of people, a uh, very popular crowdfunding platform that's really popular in the real estate game right now. It's called Fundrise. I do need to, uh, have you heard of Fundrise before? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, it kind of, uh, well, for the audience that hasn't heard of it, Think of uh, crowdfunding as a means for uh, people to raise money to invest in multifamily uh, housing or real estate deals. But normally you would need to be an accredited investor to get in on these types of projects, but they're acting as the middleman crowdfunding, which allows you to get in there. And um, that's a passive approach. Or you can go the, uh, have you seen the show Flip Flop before? I've heard of it. Uh. Well, yeah, that's where they get in, they're hands-on, they go buy like properties like at auctions at a discount. They don't know what they're getting, then they get in there. Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's destroyed. Then they you know put in the legwork, get the contractors on the boots on the ground, then eventually uh fix it up and uh they sell it and more power. I to exactly that. Uh yeah. the only difference is I tend to hold on to them, but yep. Absolutely. Right, right. Sometimes it's like, oh, Christmas. Other times it's, oh, my God, Santa, why Why did I get a lump of coal? So, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, um, that's their niche. They sell it. Me personally, I, I'm more biased towards holding and um, making passive income. But to each they own. I will say the taxes are more friendly if you hold on to it versus flipping it. Up. Well, I'm not going to get into that because I'm not a tax advisor. I'm just going to say there's long term capital uh, gains tax. And short term, and the short term is higher. Agree, agree completely. Um, and it's funny you mentioned taxes because I'm not a tax advisor either. Uh, but I just, um, I'm, I'm in the middle, right? So I believe in telling people what I'm up to while it's happening, uh, so they can learn, sort of as I am learning, rather than uh, only pulling out the things that went well and talking about that. So something that I'm, which is so often what people do. Um, so what I'm right in the middle of um, is a rooming house. So I bought a rooming house about three weeks ago in New Jersey, and I had never anticipated that I'd be in the rooming house business. I wasn't looking to do that. I was actually looking to do sort of the second phase of my investment strategy. Strategy. So if the first phase has been, hey, Pam, buy these houses for the price of a car, then the second phase has been, okay, now start selling uh, only uh, kind of very selectively one or two, uh, and then use the proceeds from the one that you sell to then leg into something, meaning buy something bigger, bigger, meaning uh, more rent, more rental income. So uh, that, that's been the strategy. And so I thought, okay, then I'm going to go ahead and look for some apartment buildings because there are apartment buildings um, that sell um, not where I am, which is in the Philly area um, in the, you know, I'm looking like, let's say the 150 to 200,000. Those are going to be really hard to find mm -hmm. out this way, but there's a plenty in Cleveland and um, really, let's just say the Midwest. Uh, there's an awful lot, uh, like mm -hmm. five bedrooms, or pardon me, five apartment units, six, seven, eight. Same for New York, state of New York, uh, not New York City. At any right. rate, um, I found, uh, I came across this uh, New Jersey uh, rooming house. Uh, it was listed for 125. Um, I put in 110, and that's what they took. And it's a six-unit rooming house. Rooming house means those six units are all bedrooms. Uh, so where does the taxes come in? Where do the taxes come into play? Right here, I'll tell you. Uh, so as I said, the goal had been sell first, use that money, and then buy. Um, and what I discovered 
as I was trying to think about how do I shelter the uh, gains that I'm going to have from the house that I sell. Because if I buy for the price of a car, in this particular case, the house that I plan on selling, haven't sold it yet, uh, mm -hmm. hope to sell it within the next three months, uh, that house I bought in 2018 for $13,500. Uh, and I bought it through an auction, that, uh, as, as it turns out. I bought houses lots of different ways. That one I bought through auction.com. Mm -hmm. So 2018, January, 13500 uh, I'll give you one guess. Do you think that house would sell for $13,500 today? No, it would not. It would sell for significantly more than that. So uh, I'm going to make a guess that I'll be able to sell it for, let's say, $140,000, $150,000. So that's mm -hmm. a lot of gain, right? If you subtract that top number uh, and subtract out the $13,500, that's the part that I'm trying to shelter. Mm -hmm. So since I ended up buying another place first, I tried to see, well, is there still any way that I can shelter the income? And the answer is yes. Um, and it is something called a 1031 reverse exchange. So I know oh, we don't perfect. want to like get into okay. all the details of taxes and what have you, but I'm going to plant that um, to your listeners, a 1031 exchange and a 1031 reverse exchange. So you can look and see if you are in the business of buying and selling and then wanting to uh, make sure that the the gain uh, that you have on the sale does not get hit with a capital gains tax, how you can do that. And it's through this particular instrument. And it protects you so long as you then use those gains and buy another investment property. Right. And um, you know, obviously, um, at some point, we'll probably bring on a uh, tax advisor that specializes in real estate to go deeper into this. But the general concept is... Uh, as long as you're acquiring a property that has a greater value than the one that you're selling, you could technically, um, what is the word I would say? It's deferring taxes and you could do it indefinitely, technically, as long as you keep scaling up. Yep. Exactly and it's, right. it, it's the problems of good problems to have. Like uh, there's a, in one of his books, uh, one of Robert Kiyosaki's books for the uh, audio yes. listeners, uh, I just showed a, uh, one of his books, I wish that for that, not in that particular book, but in one of his books, uh, he talked about how people have different types of problems based on what side of the cash flow quadrant you're on. I found it amazing how he would say that on the employee side and self-employed side, like if you buy a house, they would tell you, hey, you should get a bigger house so you can get a bigger tax deduction, which requires you to get into more debt. But on the other side, um, if we're we're talking about what we're talking about here, if you're an investor, you're they'll give you the opposite advice to say, hey, if uh, you want to pay less taxes, you need to buy a bigger property, which in turn is going to make you more money. Exactly. <laughs> I, and the moral of the story: people put on your glasses and approach your life as an investor, even if you're buying your own house, not for the purposes of renting out, not even the a one inch corner of it to anybody. You're just going to keep it yourself. Still, put on your investor glasses. So, as an example, um, this this whole notion of buying for the price of a car. And first of all, what does that mean? It means that um, I. Uh, some 10 years ago uh, at the time uh, we were dating. So my husband, but back then we were dating, he was looking for a house and he lived in an apartment. He lived in an apartment in Newark, Delaware. So in Newark, um, that's not only about like 20 minutes or so from Wilmington, he started looking there. And to your point, Elijah, around uh, folks often advising you to start as high as you can. In other words, uh, what's your income? Okay, we're gonna go right up to that line right there. Um, to, to look for houses that qualify for that. And we were like, no, we ain't. Let's turn around the telescope and instead look <laughs> lowest to highest instead of using the telescope the way people normally look all the way out to the horizon and buying right to there. So by doing lowest to highest, that's an investor point. So that's something I want listeners to take away. Don't just go straight to the top of your real estate budget. If you're uh, either banker, meaning the mortgage lender, um, or the real estate agent or both say, guess what you qualify for, Miss Smith? You qualify for a $200,000 mortgage. You plug your ears just like that. Um, and you tell yourself, they said 200, but I think they really meant 125. And then you tell your real estate agent, if you show me a house that's 126,000 or more, you are fired. I'm telling you, I only want to see 125 and less. 
So now you've artificially set your boundary lower so that you save that money for real investing, the extra that you have available. Then the second thing is just look lowest to highest with your criteria. So if you want a three bedroom, one bathroom house with a garage, stick that on Zillow, Redfin, any of them, uh, that criteria, and then look lowest to highest. Uh, and you might be happily surprised. Um, and my husband and I, we eat our own cooking when it comes to this, because the house that we are in right now, um, it's a two bedroom, one bathroom. Um, and uh, it's it's just outside of Philly in one of these bedroom communities. And we bought it for $35,000. Wow. That's awesome. And uh, pretty inspiring, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, I really encourage, especially if someone, kind of no matter what your age, um, like I was going to say, especially someone young, but also especially someone old, right? Because mm -hmm. back to Robert Kiyosaki's point around where, where you are on the continuum, th that's where you should sort of be um, and thinking about what your uh, investment um, approach is. So if you are old, older, old, whatever, um, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is if your house is not paid for, um, you're, you're going to, you're going to struggle, right? That's just going to be an expense that you have from then on. And even once your house is paid off, you're still going to have to pay on it. You're going to have to pay your property taxes, your insurance, and so on. Um, so if you're old, older, then you need to find a house that's right in this much lower price range and buy it and stop renting. And if you're younger, young, younger, um, then same advice. Uh, you need to buy something very low and, and don't make yourself get used to living high on the hog. You don't have high on the hog money. Don't be living high on the hog. Start living cheap through these kinds of investments, not by drinking one less Starbucks, but by making <laughs> investments uh, that make sense, uh, that then free you up uh, and change your mindset. End of lecture. <laughs> Nice. Um, you know what? That preaches ideology that I think is undervalued. When people want to make more money, their first thing is to cut costs. And if you are overspending, by all means, do it. But um, a lot of times it's easier to increase your income. And um, you can do that by getting another trade or skill and getting on the hustle. I mean, this is the Side Hustler Society podcast. So obviously we preach that. But another way of increasing your income or your net worth or just your assets is investing. And if you can do it in a sound way, this will be happening by default. I agree. I agree completely. Um, and I'm glad you brought it back to this being uh, the Side Hustlers podcast, because even as we talk real estate, uh, real estate investment would have been my side hustle. Uh, so I was working uh, at a large uh, corporation, Exelon, which is a, a big electric utility. Um, and I was working uh, out of Baltimore at that office and in a super busy job, a very high power job, didn't really have time to turn, you know, even look left or right. Um, but when I saw how my husband had bought this uh, house and um, by looking cheapest, the house he bought, $26,500 in Wilmington, uh, a three bedroom, one bath, solid property that we now rent out. Um, but at any rate, once I saw that, I couldn't unsee it. And so I then made time, uh, you know, during the weekends, in my free time, whatever, uh, to start mm -hmm. looking for properties. Uh, and to your point, letting that be the side hustle, letting that be uh, the additional dollars that would go into the bank account and then just simply uh, growing it over time uh, and focusing um, back to what I said uh, to folks earlier about uh, discipline yourself to start low. That's what I did. Um, it wasn't a hard discipline for me because, as you can probably guess, um, I am naturally uh, cheap um, and you know not willing. I to me, I just think of it as I'm not going to waste money. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I will spend money on things that I have uh, that I value, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Travel, family, that kind of thing, and I just don't value um, an an extra uh, you know coat of paint on a wall and pay somebody fifty thousand dollars. Uh, for the privilege of that. So uh, that was my side hustle. And um, it's one that I absolutely advocate for everyone. Um, I focus uh, especially on uh, Black people, uh, Brown people, women, um, because so so often today, and certainly historically, um, we are not uh, in those discussions. So. Mm -hmm. 
Oh man, that's so that's so true. So like um the uh, means that you use of uh, investing, like uh overall, like what strategy do you use to invest? Like does it have like a particular name? Because you know real estate has various uh, strategies, and they usually all have some type of name. Uh, right. The strategy or strategies that you use, like what are they? I suppose that my strategy, I haven't really christened it, but um, I always uh, go back to what I said when uh, my husband bought that house, uh, the first property. I said, I cannot believe that you can buy a house for the price of a car. I, I, I cannot believe it. Um, so uh, that's that's my strategy. Buy a house for the price of a car. Um, that's what I advise people to do. Um, uh if they can't find one in their area where they are, which uh, like I'll just rule some places out from jump, California, impossible. Uh, you know, the, the Hawaii and Alaska, no, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, of course, even in those states, you can buy for a whole lot cheaper than what the average price of a house is. I mean, the average price of a house in the U.S. is some 420000 And then in states like that, it's probably going to be more like 600. So yes, you can and should buy a house for more like 300, 400. Mm -hmm. um, and it won't be a whole house. I'm sure it'll be like a condo or something a lot smaller. Um, right. But for folks who are in the South, for the most part, um, again, certain cities, impossible. Like Atlanta, that boat has sailed for cheap houses. Uh, but mm -hmm. other cities in Georgia, uh, Macon is still not too bad number of other cities uh, there. Uh, I mentioned New York, uh, New York State, Albany, uh, Schenectady, um, uh, not so much Buffalo, but a, a number of other areas in upstate New York, literally uh, 20s, 30s, and 40s for a single family house that is in not too, too bad a shape, not too bad to me means um, it probably needs a furnace uh, or certainly a furnace tune-up. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some repairs to the roof and then some other mainly cosmetics like appliances and what have you. So you're going to be all in for about 25,000, uh, added to the price of the house. Um, right. but that is entirely reasonable. Um, so you'll find, uh, I'd say at least 26, 27 States, um, are going to have plenty of deals and on any given day, you can find hundreds of houses. Okay. So, uh, you would say it's pretty key to, especially when you're getting started, a lot of people, they just get excited. They want to get in the game. So they, they kind of uh, want to jump at the first deals they come across. And oftentimes those aren't the best deals. But if you're willing to actually just sit down and really define your criteria, which in this case is acquiring for cheap and keep looking until you come across a deal that's uh, reasonable and then uh, negotiate that, that's very key. And don't be afraid to step outside your local market. A lot Absolutely. of people, a lot of new real estate investors, they're just so uh, mentally confined to their city or even just their surrounding cities that the thought of like maybe driving an extra hour or two is just not in their mind at all. Just open your minds to that uh, concept, would you say? I would agree. I would agree completely. And how someone can can um, maybe condition themselves uh, is through... Um, I'm going to call it pretend practice. Uh, so what I mean by that is uh, to what Elijah was just now mentioning of uh, not jumping at the first deal you see. Let's say, let's say that you see five deals that all look pretty good. Um, then open a notebook, uh, you know, either the good old uh, pen and paper style um, or else, uh, you know, create a document um, on your laptop. Write down the addresses of those houses. Write down what you feel like is a fair price for them. Then follow those five houses. Uh, see what they actually sell for. Um, and you'll be able to see that probably in three or four months, uh, not later than that. Um, sometimes as soon as only one week or so after they've sold, you'll see what the price is. Um, and then check and see what the property taxes are for that house. Check and see what, uh, even if that house is not rented out, uh, let's say a family moves in it, um, check and see what the rent is for that zip code. So as an example, type in that zip code uh, and then afterwards write the words for rent. So zip code one, two, three, four, five, house for rent. Uh, and then you'll see what you could rent a house like that at, like that out for. So that's mm -hmm. a way to begin practicing. A second way to practice um, is within your own city. Let's say you only want to start looking in your area. Um, when a house is listed for sale, even if you don't have a real estate agent, the house does. The house has an agent because whoever the seller is, 
hired an agent unless they're doing it uh, as one of these I'll sell it myself deals. Um, so look at houses that are listed for sale with an agent that look good to you and call them right up and say, I'm interested in looking at that house. And guess what they'll say? Come on in. Are you free tomorrow? Because they want to sell the house. Um, and then again, that's the pretend practice. Uh, you're going to go in there. You're going to ask all kinds of questions. Um, and you are going to start getting a sense of the difference between houses from one to the other. And that'll get your, your knowledge up uh, and your, your confidence, your heart up and ready to go. Mm, good tips. It increases your awareness of the industry and it gets you on the field. Like there's no better practice than the real thing. And the real thing doesn't necessarily mean you have to go through every single step of closing a deal. You can uh, progress while you're practicing. Then eventually when you do find a deal that you want to jump on, you go ahead and do that part. But um, the first few phases as far as searching, evaluating properties, asking the right questions, there's infinite practice available for that. Absolutely, there is. Um, I would suggest that folks, um, as a third form of practice, uh, join meetups uh, and look for meetups. Well, if the meetup is is one of these, I'm just trying to sell you my product meetup, plug uh, your ears, right? You know how to do that. Um, and if you don't, then don't join the meetups uh, so that you don't be spending all kinds of money. Um, but there are plenty of uh, kind of free meetups. Um, you know who would have good meetups? Real estate agents, uh, because real estate agents mm -hmm. usually are not trying to sell um, or not trying to sell a program. They are instead trying to sell a property. Um, so that can be a good way to begin to get familiar. And I mean, I'm not slamming programs across the board, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to learn yourself. So spend time mm -hmm. doing that first. Uh, if you can just um, understand what your goals are uh, and what good and not good look like to you, uh, you'll be ready for a coach because if not, you're going to end up paying a coach money to just take you to that step. Um, and while that's an important step, you need to be way past some steps in order to actually uh, get the financing and buy the house. Nice. Plus, uh, these programs ideally want to make your money back as soon as possible. If, if you haven't done these prerequisite steps, uh, it's prolonging you getting your money back and actually getting a deal. Exactly. But when you can do that stuff by yourself, if you do decide to hire a coach, then, then you're prepared to actually execute. And you can get a deal and make your money back a lot faster. So why Absolutely. jump the gun when you got to do this stuff anyway? Just do it on your own. Yep. 100% agree. Make the coach work for you. Don't just sit back there like a teacup waiting to be filled up. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> okay. So um, when it comes to acquiring like uh, properties uh, for cheap, do you have like a particular tactic or way that you go about finding uh, these properties that you want to share with the audience? Sure, some people absolutely. might be wondering, like, absolutely. Yeah. So what I say is do the following. Um, first of all, for houses, if, if you're sort of uh, don't mind what part of the U.S., there's not any particular state that you're interested in, um, then you can find houses across the entirety of these United States on Zillow. Um, so, for instance, if you type in something like, uh, let's say on Google or some other search engine, um, something like, Houses for sale, entire U.S. Like keep keep at it until you stumble on. Um, I've seen Zillow site. Uh, it's not easy to do it when you're already on Zillow and say search for all the states in the U.S. Uh, but mm -hmm. they have that filter. That filter exists. Um, so that's the first thing you want to do if you don't care what state. Once you're in that filter, and so you are looking at all houses in the United States uh, that Zillow is showing. Um, and I don't work for Zillow, by the way. I'm just mentioning them because I've seen I've seen it with their site. Then the next thing you're going to want to do is put in a minimum. You don't want to say zero. Uh, first of all, houses aren't zero priced. Uh, and secondly, anything that's showing up as zero actually is unpriced or um, for rent or, or some some other deal. So put in a that's minimum. It's just fluff. Exactly. Put in a minimum, I'd say like 15,000. That's, you know, because moreover, if you see something that's 10,000 and it's a real house, it's a tumble down. Uh, it, it, it needs uh, a wrecking ball, right? That's step one in its renovation path. So 
um, put in uh, like 15 grand as a minimum, then put in a max, put in a max of, I'd say 60. Uh, then the next thing you're going to do, you're going to put in your bedroom count. Uh, if you're like, I don't know how many bedrooms, put in two, two or more. Um, that'll rule out all the condos. Um, put in one bath, uh, at least one bath, and then check uh, the following boxes. Check single family, check multifamily. If there are other boxes that are checked, uh, for instance, land, farm, what have you, uncheck those. Uh, I would say the same with manufactured housing, no slam against manufactured housing, uh, but those houses are going to be very cheap, uh, but you'll not, you won't own the land underneath, and that'll be another form of rent. Um, and when you do that, you're now going to see all the houses in the U.S. Um, so when I say there are hundreds every day, you're going to see, you're going to see all those houses. And then it's going to be, it's going to take you time, but you're going to go through. And I want you to pick out, let's say 10 um, that look like good ones, just based on the pictures. That's step one of what I do. Uh, another thing that I do is I go, uh, I mentioned auction.com. Uh, so I check auction.com from time to time. I've bought, I think three houses that way. Um, one was a $2,500 house. Uh, another was uh, a 13500 that I just mentioned earlier. And then the third, I think, uh, was probably around 15000 or thereabouts. Um, mm -hmm. Something else that I do is I do sheriff auctions, not so much sheriff auctions, but a different flavor of an auction uh, called a, a judicial sale uh, in Pennsylvania. And they have them in other states as well. Uh, some states call them free and clear auctions. Um, so I participate that way. Um, so that's probably enough to get folks started. Um, any of those uh, is going to get you uh, a house for the price of a car. What I will say is do not buy. If this is your first rodeo, your very first house you're buying, don't uh, do a judicial sale or a sheriff sale unless the property has an MLS number. Uh, one of those real estate uh, numbers that say, oh, it's listed on, again, Zillow or what have you. Uh, the right. reason why is because you um, you don't want to buy something sight unseen. Remember when Elijah talked about sometimes that's the case? You don't want that for your first property. You want to see it, walk around in it, get a sense of it. Uh, so stay away from those until you've got more experience and more bandwidth to be able to, if you have a loser, you can absorb it. But if it's your first property, you can't absorb, you know, something that's just terrible, terrible, terrible. Right. So, uh, audience, you want to keep the flip-flop scenario on the TV. You don't want to live it, at least not not initially. Get some experience under your belt and uh, some properties to fatten your portfolio. So if you did get a, a bug, you could absorb it, like she said. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I've gotten a couple of losers. Um, uh, I bought, I mentioned judicial sale. I bought four properties in Pennsylvania through a judicial sale, which again is a free and clear sale. Um, I got those a few years ago. Uh, each one was about $7,000, uh, of the four, two were great. Wonderful. Um, you know, maybe 15,000 or something like that worth of fix up, uh, and then rented out in a matter of months. Two were terrible, but even the terribles I was able to sell, um, for uh, more than I bought them for, for, you know, maybe clearing about a $10,000 or so profit. But that's not the kind of thing that you want to do going right into things. Right, right. Okay. So a lot of people in the audience, they might be wondering, like, when you buy a properties, uh, do you uh, do financing or do you acquire them uh, via cash? So I acquire them via cash, um, again, because I'm buying for the price of a car. So that is something right. that's possible, right? When you're buying a house for seven grand, you can do that. Um, I would say that uh, certainly if financing is what you need to do, don't let that stand in your way. Um, don't feel like, well, Pam, I ain't, I ain't got it like you got it. So I guess I got to sit here on the sidelines and save up. No, you don't. Um, I bought a house. Uh, it's a two family house. Uh, and I think it was 35, five or something like that. Um, and it was a Fannie Mae house. So Fannie Mae is uh, one of the federal government uh, entities that um, essentially insure mortgages. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, they end up owning it no different than when Bank of America or whomever um, has to take back a house because the uh, person who's paying the mortgage is unable to. Um, so I mentioned that exactly foreclosure. I mentioned that to say that even these houses that have a, a small price tag, if you're going to live in it, um, then you can get 
uh, FHA financing. Uh, FHA is the Federal Home Administration um, or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or some other uh, uh, federal government financing. And they will uh, uh, take out their magic wand and make you an investor uh, overnight uh, because uh, they will finance properties up to four units, again, as long as you live in it. So if it's a single family house, a two family, a three family, a four family, as long as you live in one of those units, that that is your primary residence, you can buy it with a regular old 30-year mortgage. Okay, okay. And um, as far as the process of acquiring a property via cash or financing it, uh, what would you say, are there any differences in the process when it comes to the separation between the two? Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Um, so when you buy for cash, it's easier. Um, it's easier because the seller then knows, okay, I'm going to definitely get my money. I don't have to sit around crossing my legs, hoping and praying that the lender approves this uh probably in not wonderful shape, but so-so shape, you know, that the mm -hmm. lender approves a property that's only in so-so shape. Um, so cash is going to be easier uh, for the buyer um, and for the seller. Um, it's easier for the buyer because then the buyer doesn't have to worry about trying to qualify. Uh, and it's easier for the seller because uh, they don't have to worry that the buyer's firm offer goes away because the lender uh, goes away, gets cold feet, whatever it is. Um, but that said, um, I'd say, again, if you're looking at uh, a, a residential home or in residential up to four up to a four family, or um, if you're dealing with uh, a lender that is used to lending in these markets. Um, so Elijah mentioned uh, Fundrise um, as an example. I think it was called, was it Fundrise? What was the name of the entity that you mentioned? Uh, that, yeah. um, yep. Uh, and so another one um, is just hard money lenders, right? Uh, the, the value of a Fundrise is that that's a whole consolidated uh, portal almost um, of vetted deals. Uh, and with a, a hard money lender, um, then they're going to vet your deal. Um, but they're going to be used to lending money. Of course, they're going to charge more, right? Um, they're going to charge more than a commercial bank. But hey, a commercial bank was never on the table um, for an investment deal. So um, that's what I would recommend is that you uh, you start to look at hard money lenders or others who are used to um, financing these kinds of projects. And they're going to look to get their money back very quickly. So Elijah, when you were mentioning the um, the flips, that is what's going to work in the mind of a hard money lender. They're not going to be wanting to stick around uh, watching you uh, get rental checks. Uh, they they mm -hmm. want their money and they want it back pretty quickly within a matter of three to six months. So that's why flipping works. Uh, it, it's sort of a hand in glove relationship uh, for a hard money lender because they know they're going to get their money back no sooner than you sell it. Right. Okay. So yeah, that expands the awareness of uh, uh, paying for cash versus financing. The cash is obviously a little more simple. I will uh, interject this for the audience because uh, y'all probably remember I had a Michael Artis uh, from ShareBnB, and he went over the details of what's known as a rental arbitrage, where um, you uh, convince the landlord to let you rent a property or apartment complex to let you rent. Then you put that property on Airbnb or VRBO, something like that. Now, we talked about how rental arbitrage is very scalable. You can uh, acquire properties faster or you can um, make a lot more money faster because obviously you put you uh, make money at a profit so that each property cash flows like $800,000 per month. If you just get like maybe four to five apartment units, don't take money out just to let that cash stack up. And before you know it, you'll be in the five figures. You can take that cash and actually acquire a property in cash like Pam is talking about. And uh, if you want to, you can just let those apartments go when the lease expires. Then boom, you're in the real estate game. A lot of people use that tactic, and I personally think it's underrated. So that's something to think about. Love it. Love it. Um, I agree with you that there are so many uh, special niches that are out there. Um, like the old saying goes, there's riches and niches. Um, so... 
just as I'm familiar with this particular niche of buy for the uh, buy a house for the price of a car, and that's underrated and unknown and and unexplored and so on. Um, likewise, uh, this one uh, you were mentioning, Elijah, I really like too because um, clearly it works because somebody working it. Um, only question is, are you going to work it? Are you going to learn it? Um, so uh, absolutely, I'm sure there are landlords that are out there that would be willing to rent the entirety of their building, know that they're getting um, a check, a rent check from one person instead of from 10, um, you know, the headaches of, of rent collection. Um, and then that can suddenly become uh, your your entry point. So, uh, and for folks who feel like, well, what landlord would do that? Plenty, because uh, many landlords uh, already uh, rent in that way. So for example, if they rent to Oh, let's say the Salvation Army or some other nonprofit who might uh, be in the business of uh, providing, uh, oh, I don't know, um, maybe housing for the homeless or, or, or teenage girls or pregnant, what, whatever it is. Um, in that instance, uh, then you as a landlord uh, have only one lessee, and that's whoever the nonprofit is um, that you've entered into this agreement with. Um, and that means you get just one rent check and it's a guaranteed rent check. Um, and you don't have the headache then of trying to collect from uh, all the essentially clients of that nonprofit. So think about it that way, that in the same way uh, that that is a tested business model, uh, likewise, what's being mentioned here is as well. Yeah. And um, I'll say this and then we'll move on because I'm not going to turn this into a, a podcast about short term rentals and the benefits. But uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, there are benefits from the landlord, too. And then a lot of times you're approaching it wrong. You, you're asking them, hey, can I Airbnb at this apartment complex, a unit or whatever, versus not realizing that they had to hit a certain occupancy limit, you know, occupancy rate rather, in order to get financing for future projects. And when things happen, like let's say, oh, you know, maybe the pandemic, that can mess with those rates. And here you come, they're like at 60, 70% occupation, which is horrible. And you say, hey, I'll pick up 10, 15 units, but I want uh, one to two months of rent for free. And the reason I want that is because I need to furnish all these units so I can get them to generate a profit pretty fast. And you, I'll sign a two to three year lease. That way you don't have to worry about re, uh, renewals or even evicting anyone. And it's in my best interest to keep this property in good shape because if it's not, I'm going to lose money. So what do you say? A lot of people yes. love that deal. Where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, I, I'll refer everyone else who's interested in Airbnb to that show I did with a Micah. We're going to stick to a real estate investing here. So, um, Pam, if you're cool with it, we can kind of switch gears from actually acquiring properties to like, hey, I got a deal. I got a property. So like, uh, what do I actually uh, do from there? Yeah. So um, once you've acquired a property, uh, do you have a particular like pricing strategy you do when it comes to like putting that property on the market and getting a tenant in there? Yes, I do. So what I do is first, I understand what the rental market looks like. So uh, if you all remember that pretend um, practice homework assignment that I gave you of uh, uh, finding five properties that look like the kind that you'd want to buy and then checking to see, well, what did they actually sell for? And uh, trying to get a sense of what the cost is to own such a beast by checking taxes, property taxes, which is usually a pretty big chunk of money. Um, and, and there's other things to check too, property insurance and so on. But then after that, checking to see what the rent is and checking the rent uh, in that neighborhood by just simply typing in that zip code um, and then whatever the property is. So if it's a three bedroom, one bath property, then typing in zip code one, two, three, four, five, house for rent, three bedroom, one bath and seeing what comes up across all the rental sites. Um, so that uh, homework that I gave is rooted in what I myself do. Um, so before I buy a property, I look to see what the rent is going to be. Um, something else uh, that I do is I check uh, third party um, sources of what the rent, what the approved rent is, or the, I guess either, I guess I would think of it uh, as the as high uh, rent, uh, as, as, as high, it could go as high as this potentially. So mm -hmm. that third party source would be HUD, uh, the Housing and Urban Development Agency. Um, so HUD um, 
Their largest program uh, for rental assistance, that is, uh, is Section 8, uh, which is also called the Housing Choice Voucher Program. And the reason I mention it is because uh, if I'm buying houses for the price of a car, you can imagine uh, that these are not in uh, Jeff Bezos' neighborhood or Warren Buffett's, right? Because if only I could buy a house in them neighborhoods for a few grand. I cannot. Um, you cannot. Uh, and that is because these houses are available in low income neighborhoods. It's as simple as that. Uh, so a low income neighborhood means low income people um, are living there. Uh, so low income people in turn mean uh, means um, looking at what a housing choice Section 8 voucher uh, is uh, is priced at uh, what that maximum rent is. Even if you're not renting to someone who receives a voucher, uh, their finances look exactly like someone who's receiving a voucher. Uh, again, mm -hmm. um, because when you're living in a low-income neighborhood, that's you have low-income money. Um, you know that's one of the terrors, uh, certainly, um, uh, of real estate in this country. So um, Section Eight is is a good proxy to check. Um, so how you check that uh, is by typing in the following. Type in uh, fair market rate, FMR, fair market, pardon me, fair market rent, FMR, fair market rent. Fair market rent, okay. Rent, exactly. And then um, all of the federal government, uh, they're not, their calendar is not uh, the calendar year. In other words, January 1 to December 31. Their calendar is a fiscal year different than January 1 to December 31. And the calendar, the fiscal year is October 1 to September 30th. I only mention that because here we are in late October, meaning we're past October 1st, meaning we're in the new fiscal year of 2023. So we are in fiscal year 2023. So when you type in FMR or fair market rent, you're then going to say fiscal year, F-I-S-C-A-L, or just simply F-Y 2023. And mm -hmm. you are going to see, uh, you'll have to probably click a link here and a click a link, click a link there, but you'll see um, what the uh, FMR is. Um, and how you'll see it is you'll type in uh, the state and the city uh, and or the zip code, uh, and then it's going to show you uh, what the max rent is. Uh, or actually, it's, they don't call it the max. They simply call it the fair market rent um, for uh, studios, one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom. I don't think they go as high as five bedroom. Cool, cool. So that's how I figure out what the rent's going to be. Nice. So th that's actually a lot of uh, tools and tactics you can have at your disposal mm -hmm. to uh, figure out a, a fair, uh, it's basically a pricing strategy. That's right. That's right. Um, it, it is the rent that you can charge. What I would say when you look at that is <clears throat> whatever the number is, um, especially like on the higher end. So, for example, I mentioned um, Pensgrove uh, or Paulsburg. I can't remember which city, but some of the cities <clears throat> in Jersey, they have rents that approximate the rents in southern Jersey, I should say, have rents that approximate the rents in Wilmington, Delaware. And so for a four bedroom, uh, that rent might be close to two grand. So it's not as if the government is going to say, and here's your $2,000. They will if that $2,000 rent includes all the utilities. In other words, there's no utility burden for the renter. If there is a utility burden, in other words, you expect them to pay electric, gas, water, what have you. Well, then that $2,000 uh, is meant to cover the entirety of living in that house. Um, so right. in that $2,000 example, you should back it off. You should say, well, 17, maybe 1,800. That might be the rent that I could expect to receive uh, on a property like that. Oh, that's that's good, that's good to know. Cause uh, you may uh, price wrongly because you didn't know that everything is included, but you need to know that everything is included since you're the one that's gonna be renting it out. And if you uh, don't uh, make the appropriate the appropriate math to come up with the right rent, then uh, you could get the price wrong. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Agreed. Ooh. Agreed. Okay. So um, a lot of people they have like a phobia of like, oh man, I really don't want to have to evict someone. So like the uh, answer to that is to get a quality tenant. And uh, some people might be wondering exactly. How do they go about getting a quality of tenants? So do you have any advice for, you know, finding uh, people that are quality tenants that, you know, will be the most likely to pay on time and 
well, pay yes. in general so you don't have to evict someone? Yes, I would say generally um, word of mouth can work in your favor. Uh, it works mm -hmm. in your favor, of course, if you're doing a good job uh, as, uh, as a, uh, a person who owns a house and rents it out. Um, and how it works in your favor is that that person, that renter is going to tell their family possibly their friends, but definitely their family, um, who might also be looking. And they probably won't tell the worst of the family because after all, they have a, a, a good setup, right? The person is renting from you. You are a good landlord. You, you're providing a good house. May not be the best neighborhood, but you, two out of three, you're doing well. Um, so that's how I have gotten, um, to your point, a lot of good renters. Um, mm -hmm. I end up getting referrals. So the, uh, and uh, it will be a, something as close as a brother or a sister uh, or a mother and a daughter um, who will refer me to one to the other or, or sometimes a little bit more distant of a relationship than that. Um, I would say secondly is to uh, if you're not that good at qualifying folks, um, then just hire someone. Let somebody else do that for you um, so that you don't have to have the. Um, uh, have the mistake maybe of, of bringing on the wrong people because either you didn't know what to look for or you didn't know what to look for, but you got nervous in the moment, you got scared in the moment or, or you got uncomfortable in the moment, whatever it is. Um, so just use a third party to do that for you. Um, it'll still be your tenant, right? You can't be like, Hey, third party, you gave me somebody who screwed up. But, um, if you are giving them criteria, uh, it makes it more likely that they're going to stick with it versus you. Um, because after all, um, you know, we're human and, and, uh, we're going to take some other things into account in the moment, uh, that might not have been part of your, uh, approved criteria. Hmm. Good advice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually kind of curious, do you have some kind of referral program or is it just like people who are just referring in general? Like, do you have some way of incentivizing referrals or not? I don't. I don't. I guess I, I try to incentivize uh, referrals by uh, by providing very good customer service. So kind of like how, I don't know, a restaurant or or a store or what have you um, would rely on word of mouth, positive word of mouth uh, to get right, customers. Right. Um, I kind of take that approach. And, and I and I try to say that as well, like two other uh, landlords or aspiring investors. Uh, remember, you're in the customer service business. Um, like even the term landlord, uh, I, I really hate that word. Um, it's a very archaic word. Uh, it's, uh, you know, land, Lord, you know, it's, it's, right. um, it, it's, that that I'm actually sitting here thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's that kind of word of, uh, that automatically creates like this false power dynamic, um, mm -hmm. of, um, and yet an internalized power dynamic that people who own a property will have that no other business has that. No other business is like, I'm the landlord and you better do what I say. I mean, nobody else does. They're like, please customer, uh, come back. Um, and so, um, you know, they, you know, again, a restaurant will do its best to try to uh, make sure that their customer service is outstanding. Um, but oftentimes, um, people who own houses and rent them out might not have that same mindset. Um, so mm -hmm. I'd say that's a part of it too. get your mindset. Right. You know, that's interesting. Cause uh, in most cases I tell everyone if they're in business for themselves, they should have a referral program. But um, this is one of the situations where I actually would say it's probably better not to. Cause uh, if you get a quality person from someone who refers you, I think it's better if they're not incentivized by money because mm -hmm. if they're incentivized by getting money, they're just going to call any mojo, regardless of their qualifications, send them your way. And, you know, you close on one of them and then they get paid. And what if they're a crappy tenant versus if that wasn't in the equation, you know, they're probably going to send you some because they have a relationship with you and they, they, they don't want you to go through something bad. And whoever they're uh, referring, they don't want them to not be able to afford That's it. Right. So it's actually a good match for everyone. It's probably better if you don't have a referral program. Yeah. So I, I can see. I, I think it works out because the people who they're referring to me, they already have that deep relationship with them. They feel obligated to them. Oh my God, it's my sister. She needs a place. My mother, my, my daughter, my first cousin, whatever. That, so they already, they're, they're a whole lot more um, in debt and obligated to that person and don't want to do wrong by that person. So they're entrusting right. you 
with that person. Right. And um, obviously the uh, second point that Pam said, if you don't feel comfortable with it, outsource it. Like you don't have to do everything. I think that's one of the beauties of being in business is uh, you don't have to do everything yourself. You, you probably shouldn't do everything yourself. If we're going to be honest. Uh, this outsourcing party could just be a lot better at screening than you. That's fine. Just uh, outsource it. It'll help you sleep better at night. It's very true. It's very true. Um, I think just like you're saying, Elijah, you can't uh, do it all. Shouldn't try to do it all. Um, many leadership, um, uh, I suppose, blogs and and um, uh, masterminds and what have you uh, will tell you um, that you cannot be the CEO of your business if you're if you're wearing every single hat. Um, you know, doing the high wire act. And I know yet we all do it. Um, but that's what you're aspiring to and working to uh, do is work yourself out of that. Um, and, and I mean, I say this as someone who's been in corporate America in very lofty positions um, as a CEO and CFO um, of a couple of utilities. So um, you, you lean on your staff. And I know in the beginning, you ain't got no staff issue. Um, but that's what you're working towards uh, is is getting that staff, even one person, somebody. Right. Yeah. So um, a lot of people, they may actually be uh, wondering uh, this next question, but as a real estate investor, you obviously need to have people around you to have certain skill set, whether it be contractors or um, real estate agents like um, what what's a good list of people that they should have in mind that they should have on their team, per se? Like, I know I, I know I need a real estate agent and I know I'm going to need a contractor like. Uh, what else do I need? Because that way, when I actually get a deal, I can start putting this uh, team together or I could already have the team established. And when I have a deal, I can actually get the work. Right. So finance would be the third uh, leg, I guess, of that stool. Uh, so you mentioned real estate agent, contractor. So, of course, your finance person, meaning your banker or your hard money lender, whoever it is, um, you need to be regularly in touch with them and making sure you stay qualified, uh, particularly if you're going to be financing the property. Um, then, uh, hmm, I would say another one is your property manager. If you're not going to be, uh, let's say you're picking a particular location um, where you're going to be investing. And uh, if you're like me in the beginning where it is a side hustle and you don't have time uh, mm -hmm. to be playing landlord, um, then you need to go on ahead and start interviewing property managers um, and, and seeing who, who you might want to have on your team as your property manager. So that would be a fourth person. And um, yeah, I, I guess that would probably be it. That would get you started. And then again, just keep fueling yourself um, through podcasts like Elijah's um, and, and others. I get that food. Uh, that you need um, so that you can stay stay energized and stay attuned to your bigger picture, whatever it is for why you're doing this. Nice. And um, I've heard that uh, as far as a property manager, you need a certain number of properties before you can find one. Is there any truth to that? I don't know. I mean, when I started, I, I think the answer is there's not any truth to that. Uh, I'm sure you can start with just one because I would have had one when I uh, when I started, um, I mean, my very first property, I definitely didn't manage, nor the second, third or fourth. So yeah, I started with one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we're going to begin the process of uh, winding down the podcast, but uh, my audience would assassinate me if I didn't uh, ask this question. So we got to get into it. But um, it's called a side hustler society podcast. Some people want to remove the word side from uh, side hustle and just be a hustler. So like, at what point do you feel that someone who has like a, a nine to five job and they're doing this as a side hustle, at what point do you feel like they, when they have this amount of properties or they have this amount of income coming in, it's probably a good time to go ahead and uh, they have the option to leave their job. Is there a magic number in your mind or a magic scenario, if you will? Because we don't oh, want people to yeah. leave too early. Yeah. And I agree. Don't leave too early. It's it's such a tough um, thing to answer. I mean, I guess uh, if I were, and again, I'm not a financial advisor, just like I'm not a tax advisor, but if I were to kind of talk uh, generally uh, from a financial advisor perspective, um, then I would say, um, take a look at uh, all of your expenses. So let's say your total expenses right now are four grand a month. Um, we'll just make it up that that's what your living expenses are. 
Um, and then on top of that, you're looking to have another at least thousand to two thousand a month um, for investments. And now let's say it's two, so that's putting you up to six. Um, and then let's say your emergency fund, you're like, I, well, I, I never have been doing too good at that. So let's put another two there. Now, uh, now that puts you at eight and then another one for, let's say, vacation. So that's nine. So 12 by nine is about 100 grand a year. Um, and that's, of course, after taxes, meaning before taxes, it, uh, it might be uh, more like 150 as your gross income, right? Mm -hmm. So using that number, uh, like just working my way up that way, bottoms up, that might be a way somebody thinks about. So if they are netting, not grossing, netting from their houses, what, what would it take to get $150,000 uh, from your houses. Well, uh, again, back to uh, the 8,000 that we started with um, when we said 12 by 8. So uh, I would say that uh, to net 8,000, you'd probably have to gross maybe 12 to 13,000. Um, so I would say, I would say at least, um, at least that at least like a $15,000 rental income or, or maybe even $17,000 a month rental income. And I don't know how many houses that would be. It depends where you live um, and if it's Airbnb or what have you, but that's the kind of thing I would shoot for. But I suppose mm -hmm. the, like the conservative, you know, back to me mentioning earlier, um, my particular money mindset, everyone has one. So my money mindset is very conservative. So I would kind of say um, if you can just, keep going, like work and do the side hustle until instead of it being 17, it's more like twice that, 34 or three times that, like really being ultra sure, because it's very difficult to go back in the work world. Um, it's easy to move from job to job, but hard to move from no job to job. Nice. Um, I always say the magic number is uh, 1.5 to two times your um, income that you're making at the job and the dynamics are a little different since this is a uh, real estate investing and not necessarily um it's not like you're you became a video editing editor and then you start making money that way uh because uh, one of the benefits of rental income is no self-employment tax it, it, as long as you're not flip-flopping if you're doing a lot of flip-flopping they might just throw that on there i'm, I'm just saying but uh yeah but um, definitely um, take uh, what we talked about to consideration, audience. And I really look at those dynamics before you do leave the nine to five, if you even want to. Some people, they just keep their portfolio at a certain size and they just want extra money, but they love their job. There's nothing wrong with that scenario either. Exactly. And I like your uh, 1.5 to two times. I, I'd probably go uh, higher towards the two times just because uh, this is if you have a job that's giving you benefits, uh, benefits meaning healthcare, dental, um, mm -hmm. and maybe retirement uh, as a part of it. In other words, 401k or that dinosaur that everybody wishes was still around, uh, pension. So if you have a job like that, um, then that alone, those benefits add up to maybe your whole salary or 75% of your salary. Uh, and that now equals money that you got to bring in the door. Um, so you should be thinking more towards that two times um, at a minimum, two, two and a half times even if you're going to be trading away those benefits. If you don't have any of those benefits, um, then absolutely uh, all the more reason uh, to be looking to free yourself from uh, what is ultimately someone someone taking advantage, uh, you know? Right. Of your good time. Indeed. So I'm um, always in the podcast by uh, asking my guests if they have any questions for me, whether it be on this topic or in general, you want to hit me with any questions, Pam? Absolutely. So tell us what your side hustle is and how you managed to be so successful at it. <laughs> well, uh, the origin of uh, this podcast is because I've had so many side hustles that um, I wanted to share with uh, people, the mentality and also different side hustles. But uh, currently, uh, the rental arbitrage, I know that by experience because I have units on Airbnb and I do rental arbitrage. They cash flow between $800 and $1,000 per month. Uh, right now, I have two. I'm uh, working on closing on a third. Uh, I also have uh, two YouTube channels. Well, one is Financial Anatomy. One is called The App Lifestyle. Uh, one, I teach people how to make money online. The other one, I talk about personal finance and real estate. 
And technically, uh, this is the third channel, the uh, Side Hustler Society podcast, and that'll be monetized uh, probably within the next six to uh, twelve months. And I'm also I'm also an uh, author. I've uh, written a best-selling book called The Anatomy of Financial Success. And uh, before all that, I was a freelancer where I designed websites for people, and I uh, did video editing for our clients. So all this uh, side hustle stuff, I felt like I needed to share because I saw the trend moving away from traditional jobs and more so towards people needing to have a trader skill or just knowing how to make money. When people need more money, their first instinct is to go get another job. And uh, that that's probably the worst thing you can do, in my opinion. It keeps you trapped in a quagmire and you get underdeveloped in the other areas of life. What about your friends? What about your relationships? What about your health? All these things start to chip away slowly if you get another job. But if you pick up a side hustle, you can make that same money usually in half the amount of time. So if you do put the same hours you were in a, in a part-time job, you'll make double the money. Or you can put in half the amount of time, make your needed money, and then devote the necessary time towards those other things that are probably often getting neglected. So that's uh, the motivation for starting the Side Hustle Society podcast. And that's what I've personally got going on right now. Love it, love it, love it. So inspiring, so awesome. And I agree with you completely that um, our reflex, uh, and again, I would say as Black people in particular, but maybe all Americans, um, is to go find that other job. And uh, God forbid, um, you know, it's a government job. Uh, a good government job uh, seems to be what <laughs> we were raised with. Like, you better go get that good government job. Um, and uh, and as a result, um, it can be a set of shackles. Um, and, and and you don't you don't look for for how to um, how to make your way uh, in this world uh, in a way that can be larger. So I really like this notion uh, and what you're doing, um, this work you're doing of advising people, encouraging people, engaging people, um, and being transparent with people on what is a side hustle, why do you do it, um, and uh, and the many ways, the many avenues uh, that exist. Indeed. So Pam, for people who want to get a more want to get more of you like where can they uh, find you yeah um, yeah my smart cousin my smart cousin.com so that's m y my smart s m a r t cousin c o u s i n.com my smart cousin.com um also my email is info i n f o info at my smart cousin.com uh and then my uh social media so twitter and Facebook and what have you, uh, Instagram, that is at my smart cousin. Uh, so follow me that way. And the reason for my smart cousin is because, uh, as you can imagine, I'm that person at the family reunion uh, to be following up with people if they tell me, oh, yeah, I'm going to be investing in the stock market this year. How are you now? How's it coming? <laughs> uh, you mentioned you were going to stop renting last year. How can I help you find that first house? So uh, it's just uh, one of those names that, uh, that uh, or, or I suppose roles uh, in the family that has kind of stuck. Um, and I also like to treat people uh, like family uh, as, and thus my smart cousin. Awesome. All right, audience, be sure to uh, check her out. And we will leave links to a social media and a website in the uh, show notes and also in the uh, description on YouTube. That does it for this episode of Side Hustler Society podcast. Watching us on YouTube, if you can give us a thumbs up, the YouTube algorithm is very much appreciated. And subscribe if you're new so you can stay up to date on new episodes that drop. And on the podcast side, if you could leave us a review, it'd be a very much appreciated. It lets us communicate more value to you. With that being said, it's been Elijah Blau with the Side Hustler Society. Get out there, hustle hard, and I'll catch you in the next show. This episode may be over, but your hustling journey has just started. Visit the SideHustleSociety.com to access all links and resources mentioned in the show that will help you on your hustler's journey.